A note to my listeners. I had recorded this episode with Amy back in mid-November. And obviously, it's taken some time to edit and post this. But during that time, I had gone for my whole body scan. In the episode, I talk about why my thyroid globin levels were still detectable. When I went to MD Anderson in Houston in September, the woman who treated me said that it was likely just residual tissue. And she did not recommend a whole body scan. She kind of honestly brushed it off. It concerned me, but I thought they're the experts. They should know. But my endocrinologist, when I had taken labs a few weeks later and she saw the results, she wanted to be safe, not sorry. She thought there was a very low risk of there being cancer, but she wanted to rule it out at the very least and to understand why my levels were still detectable after surgery. Well, I received the results recently and I do have residual tissue, but I also have cancer. They found metastasis in the lymph nodes in my neck. Luckily, there's no distant spread, but there is still cancer in my neck, or at least a suspicion of cancer. But what else can it be when they label it metastasis? So this means I will have to go for additional treatment early in the new year, radioactive iodine ablation, and we'll see what happens if that will treat the issue. The thing is, as Amy explains in the episode per her case, because my tumor was positive for the BRAF mutation, there's no actual guarantee this treatment will work. BRAF-positive tumors tend to be resistant to radioactive iodine. And so, as the doctors at MD Anderson put it, there's a 50-50% chance that it won't be successful, which means I might have another surgery in my future. So what does this mean? Well, I'm going into 2024 with a lot of uncertainty. So that's my little health update. I really, truly do hope you enjoy this episode. It is a very rich, deep, personal conversation about what it means to be a two-time cancer survivor with two uncommon diseases. So thank you. Welcome to the Sad and Buff Show, the podcast where we talk about everything at the intersection of mental health and fitness. On today's episode, I chat with Amy, a two-time cancer survivor who, guess what, also had chromophone renal cell carcinoma and papillary thyroid carcinoma at the same time. It's almost like we are living parallel lives. We talk about everything from health uncertainty to unpacking trauma to the wet noodle syndrome. And if you're interested in what the wet noodle syndrome is, you're going to have to continue listening. It's a very deep conversation on what it's like to be both a kidney cancer survivor and a thyroid cancer survivor managing life with one kidney and no thyroid. Take a listen, reach out if you have any questions, and I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Amy, so much for joining me today. Before we get into it, can you just talk about who you are and your story for my listeners? Yeah. So my name's Amy. I live in the Salt Lake City area. I am the mother of three kids. And 
my journey started almost two years ago and I went in for a scan because my leg was hurting and they thought I had pelvic congestion and they saw a tumor on my kidney and they're like, oh, you've got much bigger problems Mm. (laughs) than this. And so uh, it was kind of a shock. I ended up reading the results at home at night and um, kind of freaked out a little bit and got on the call on the phone with urologist the next day and finally found somebody and he was worried. It, it was a large tumor. It was about the size of a mango. And um, they were worried it had metastasized to my lungs because it was large. So I went and got a scan on my lungs and incidentally also found a nodule on my thyroid. Mm. And so they, you know, didn't want to mess around with me. So they decided if there was anything weird on the ultrasound of my thyroid that they'd biopsy it. And so I went in four days after getting my kidney removed and had my thyroid biopsied. And so I got the results of um, my kidney and my thyroid within 10 days of each other. I was diagnosed with two different cancers. And the best explanation I've got is that I have really bad luck. (laughs) Oh, that's an awful explanation. (laughs) I was like, that's not even possible, right? Can't be possible. No, uh, I just, for my listeners, the way Amy and I had connected is we were both on a focus group call and I had, I think I was the one who had mentioned that I just got through thyroid cancer and you were like, oh really? Me too. I haven't met anyone else. Um, Yeah. And so I'm glad that we were able to connect we're able to have the conversation. No, that's a bad explanation. Like, That's essentially the explanation I got. I mean, our story is different because my my thyroid cancer was found about less than three years after. Although, did you have papillary thyroid carcinoma too? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I had. And from what I understand, it's slow growing as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were nodules there while I also had kidney cancer. But I've done like a lot of research that shows like the interconnection between thyroids and kidneys. And it's just really interesting that doctors don't recognize that. I don't know what else yeah. other than bad luck have you have you experienced <laughs> with your doctors and in, in that situation? I mean, I did some genetic testing and I have a variant of unknown significance. Um, it's on a gene that is a tumor suppressing gene. And so I wonder if there's something there, but from what they've told me, they're not smart enough to have figured anything out yet, but I'm at least in the pipeline of if they do figure something out that I'll know. Um, I don't know what kind of kidney cancer you had. Um, mine was a chromophobe, which is an extremely rare kind. Is that what you had too? Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. And then, um, my papillary thyroid actually had a mutation on the tumor, a BRAF mutation, which tends to make it a little more aggressive and less likely to respond to treatment, which is what mine is actually doing. (laughs) So it's been kind of a bugger to get rid of. And so I'm dealing with a lymph node right now that's not behaving, but so did you have the same sort of stuff? Yes. So I have, I'm breath positive as well. Um, they, they only took out my thyroid. There was one lymph node that it metastasized to, and there were like three different vocal point focal points, but my thyroglobin is still ha- like detectable. So I'm going for a whole body scan 
soon to see if there's any uptake. But yeah, the doctors at MD Anderson said that there's a 50% chance radioactive iodine would work. So they wouldn't even recommend it because they, they say my case is a low risk case. And a part of me is like, okay, but my thyroglobin is still showing. So I mean, we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening. But yeah, same profile, same exact profile. So yeah, we're like living the same life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, yeah, go on. So I did do the radioactive iodine if you can avoid it, I'll tell you too, because it made me so ill, like so sick. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was worth it to me to at least know that like I threw everything at it that I could. And yeah, my thyroglobulin is still higher. It's supposed to be at zero and mine was at 1.4. So I've never got to zero and now it's starting to creep up. It's at 1.9 and they had removed five of my lymph nodes and three were positive for cancer. And so um, just when they did this, the whole body scan, there was some stuff still in my neck. So that's what we've been watching. And it, it seems like it is growing still. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of at this impasse right now where it's like, well, do I just watch it and live with cancer or do I try and remove it and maybe get to be cancer free? I, I don't know. Because I don't know how they, they're like, oh, it's thyroid cancer. No big deal. We just take it out and and you're cured. And that has just not been the case for me at all. I feel like that's not the case for a lot of thyroid cancer survivors I've spoken to because it has the such a high recurrence rate as well. And the everyone I've spoken to, they weren't cancer free when they first had the surgery like they thought. And then like just maybe a few months later, it came back and then they had to have another surgery or radioactive iodine. So it's not, I know that from what the doctors at MD Anderson told me and what my endocrinologist told, endocrinologist, that's a word, told me (laughs) is that because of the way papillary thyroid carcinoma is at least that like sitting and watching it is not so, so bad, right? Like it's not a bad way to go, especially if you know, it's small and it doesn't get to that like one centimeter threshold that they have for surgery. But even still, like living with cancer is a thing, right? And like, that's just something that even if medically you're like, okay, this is great. Great. I can, you know, I can live with it for a little bit until I feel comfortable to have a surgery. You're still living with cancer and cancer still grows, you know, and it's a hard thing to wrap your head around no matter what your doctors say. A hundred percent. So mine just, I've been watching it for the last year and a half or so, and I just crossed the one centimeter threshold. So now I'm Mm. like, okay, well, do I have surgery just for one lymph node or do I wait? And, you know, you don't want to wait because, you know, cancer grows and it spreads, but this one's not supposed to spread, but mine is. And so it's kind of (laughs) hard. Yeah, that's, I, I, for all the research they've done on thyroid cancer, I feel like the things that we hear and the lived experience don't exactly match up. No. Yeah, not and, at all. It, yeah, go ahead. No, it was just, it, I think I was just trailing off with the yeah kind of thing. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, And I met with an oncologist just to answer some questions. Because, I mean, I've been stage two in both my cancers. And so they told me I don't need an oncologist because there's not really, like, I'm not doing chemo. I guess in Salt Lake, if you're doing chemo, you get an oncologist. But I, I don't get one. But I just had a lot of questions. And 
you know, he put my mind at ease a little bit where he's like, people can live decades with papillary thyroid cancer and they go in every few years and get a bunch of lymph, no lymph nodes removed. And ironically enough, I had an appointment with my ENT already scheduled, just my annual on Monday. And he's like, yeah, if we have to do a neck resection, we have to sever the nerve to your ear and you'll have like uh, a numb ear the rest of your life. And it's just stuff like that, that they don't really tell you that living without a thyroid is hard and it is like exhausting and emotional because it controls everything but you just think oh it's a thyroid you just remove it no big deal <laughs> and that's the thing it's like you can't uh, I just I don't know if you heard it but I just had a conversation I just posted a conversation with Julia Diaz who's a thyroid cancer survivor and dietitian and that was the one thing that we had talked about was that there's this attitude, same thing with the kidney, right? It's like, oh, you just remove it and you're fine. At least you had two kidneys, but it's like, hey, those <laughs> actually control a lot. Like both your thyroid and your kidneys control a lot when it comes to your body functioning. And without it, it can be a problem, right? Like if yeah. you have your appendix removed, you don't have to go worry about going on dialysis. If you have a kidney removed and your function keeps going down, that's a real work. You know what I'm saying? And maybe that's a yeah. uh, not the greatest comparison, but it's like, you have to worry about going on dialysis, right? Like you have to worry about uh, whether or not you need to rely on medicine and medical what products to keep you functioning. Yeah, whereas, and, alive. <laughs> and alive, whereas there are other things where it's like, no, it's, it's not it's not just oh you you have to or oh it's a thyroid it's fine you could take it out but you mentioned it being exhausting um so I wanted us to get into like the mental health and fitness aspect of it because one thing I've been noticing that's been different from the kidney cancer experience since I had a couple years in between both like I think I'm able to kind of like reflect on that is that my energy is so much different now than before, like before it was just, okay, I removed my kidney. I had to like, you know, I had three to six months of like healing before I really got into it, but I still kind of had this energy to do things like it slowly built up, but it's been about three months since I had my surgery. And I'm still at this point where I'm like, I don't even want to look at the dishes. Like the dishes are just, <laughs> I don't want to look at them. I don't want to look at like my Peloton. I don't want to meal prep. I don't even want to cook a meal. Like I don't want to do any of those things. So I'd love to just kind of, you've been a year or so into this, like what has been your experience? I think I didn't realize how tired I was until I got diagnosed with cancer. You know, like I had no symptoms, I feel like with either until I got the cancer removed. And then I was like, oh, it was zapping a lot of my energy. I just thought, oh, I have three kids. Of course I'm exhausted, <laughs> you know? And how to do the healing and then kind of got back into working out. Um, I think what I found through it is just a lot of grace for myself. Like if I don't feel like doing something or if I don't have the energy, um, I just have to give myself a lot of grace and say, you know what, it's just not going to happen today. And hopefully tomorrow I'll feel better and be able to do that. Um, I, I mean, I've had four surgeries this year too. And I just mm. haven't been able to get my feet under me as far as energy wise, just surgery kind of knocks you down and it takes a long time. And I think one of the things maybe people don't realize is healing's not linear. Yes. If you feel good one day, 
doesn't mean you're going to feel good the next day and or even the next day some days you'll feel great some days you don't and you just have to run with the days you do feel great and pray that the days you don't feel great pass quickly and that you can get back to it I mean I'm still not at a point where I feel like my energy is where I want it to be um and I mean I still haven't settled in I don't know about you I still haven't settled in on my t4 like my thyroid medication we're still adjusting stuff and every time it's adjusting my attitude's different my energy's different and not always better (laughs) so yeah yeah, I'm um we only adjusted once so far cuz it's only been since July and we're we're pretty she wants me pretty suppressed, which is interesting cuz depending on who you talk to, like the people at MD Anderson were like, "No, you should be like just regular." And and my endocrinologist is like, "No, we should be under like 0.1. Like we should be low for right now." And yeah. so it's 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 interesting how there's like difference of opinions. I mean, I trust yeah. my endocrinologist a lot. So I'm pretty suppressed right now and and where there I'm not sure if after we see the whole body scan or anything like that if she'll end up adjusting again so but I I could imagine I probably have some adjustments in my future yeah they want me pretty suppressed too and so we've I've been so suppressed even as they lower it I'm still not coming up and I'm slowly creeping up but now my tumor markers are creeping up also. And so I used to be on the every six month plan with the tumor markers and now I'm on the every eight week plan. And so, you know, in a few more weeks, if my numbers are still creeping up, they're going to suppress me even more, which I appreciate. Like you don't want to encourage things to grow (laughs) is my attitude. I don't want it there. But I mean, she did tell me there's a lot of clinical trials out there right now with the mutation that she's hopeful in the next couple of years there's like a chemo drug that can turn on the or you know how the BRAF won't let you uptake stuff it will turn yeah. that off and then you can um uptake stuff and it would hopefully you know take the radioactive iodine and cure it so I mean there's a lot of exciting things that are coming down the pipeline it's just getting through today not feeling great or you know mentally emotionally physically all of the above (laughs) yeah no but you put it in such a great way that healing isn't linear right like there's a I mean I'm sure you or rather I can't say I'm sure but I wonder if you had I know in my experience there there's this expectation that after a certain period like you should just be back to normal or things should be Uh okay and then when you hear that you try to like rectify within yourself of like well that doesn't seem to be the case so is is what I'm feeling a condition of having survived cancer and the after of that or is it current factors that are influencing just my day-to-day and just trying to figure out what is what you know when I was talking to Julia a couple weeks ago she had mentioned something about attitude and mood and stuff like that and I had noticed that my mood changed after the diuretectomy and going on medication, but mm-hmm. I hadn't connected it to that. And then she like, just talking to her, I'm like, oh, okay. So that's, <laughs> that's what all of this is, right? Like that's, that's what I'm experiencing, but that healing is not linear. I think that is just so, so, so important. Yeah. And I mean, my poor husband, he's had to pick up the slack continually for two years. And I feel like 
once I get to a week or so after surgery and I'm starting to get back at things, it's like, okay, cool. You can start making the kids lunches or, you know, and then there's some days I'm like, I literally just can't get off the couch and he's back on having to help with everything. And then I'm like, well, is it just mentally or do I really not feel good? And it's hard because he doesn't, I I just have to communicate so well and be like, I'm really not feeling well today. I'm really just not, this is what I'm feeling like. And I know I was feeling better yesterday, but today I'm just not. And I don't know what it is exactly either. I can't pinpoint it either, but it's just one of those things that it affects everybody. Yeah, it it does for sure. And I think like you said, communication and just being able to communicate well and explaining because it's I mean, I think it's hard to to explain what it's like life without a, I mean, life without, you know, with one kidney, too, is really hard to explain. But I think life without a thyroid is something I'm having a harder time explaining. Because yeah. sometimes like just saying, Oh, well, I just don't have the energy. You know, you could say that to somebody, but it's not really something that they can absorb, really. Because yeah. it's like, well, everyone, you know, has days where they don't have energy but it's like oh no this is something completely different than just not getting enough sleep this is like literally not just being able to move and so you had mentioned you know those days where you're just not able to get up on the off the couch and I would just love for you to just talk a little bit about that more in terms of how that affects your physical health and what a day like that is just so the listeners understand what having to like rely on synthetic like medication for your hormones and not being able to function naturally, if you will, does see yeah. day to day. Yeah, I call it um, the wet noodle syndrome. I literally feel like a wet noodle. Like I can barely mm-hmm. lift my arms off the couch yeah. and it, it just feels hard and they feel like wiggly. And it's, there are days that I feel like that, um, you know, now getting my medication a little bit better, just tweaking, it's not as bad, but it's hard because my kids don't understand like well you're on the couch you're not sick like what is wrong with you and then there's this layer of guilt that comes on like oh I need to push myself but you literally have no energy to even push yourself to do anything and so mentally there's that guilt that comes in and also a little bit of depression like am I ever gonna feel better am I is this a way to live? Like, how am I going to live like this on the couch? And, you know, you can't be physically active, which also helps you mentally and emotionally. And it's just a hard thing. Like someone who hasn't experienced it, I don't think really gets it. It's not like being sick because you feel sick, but you're not. (laughs) I don't know even how to explain it, you know? Yeah. It's not like a head cold or your chest is congested, but it just, it feels like, I don't know, for me, there's some days where it just feels like a weighted blanket on top of me, holding me down. And it's like, I just, and I may be moving too. It may not necessarily be where I'm like laying on the couch or laying on the bed, but like, it just, it feels like maybe in that case, if I'm standing or I'm working or something like there's just something like weighing me down where it's like, okay, I have to make a decision of how much energy I can really actually truly exert to get this weight off of me. And I don't know if that is a good explanation for it either, but it just, it just feels like maybe a wall. Like it's one of those things where someone has to be in it to understand it. 
right? Yeah. Like it's like yes. you have you have, not that I want anyone to go through any no. type of cancer <laughs> no. or any type of thyroid removal, but it's it's one of those things where it's like you don't get it until you experience it. And I yeah. know, and one thing I wanted to get back to like the fitness and 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 just energy and and guilt kind of trifecta, if you will. I know one thing for me, I've had to really decide what, like I said, what I put my energy into, like before, even with, after kidney cancer, I was able to do cardio and lift and do all these different things and like really, really push myself and meal prep and just go about it. But now, and I know I'm just three months in, but it just feels like I, it can't be, um, I can't go hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. Um, and anything anymore. Like, it's like, if I am choosing to go intensely into lifting, then my cardio has to be the simplest cardio that it can be. Or if I decide that I want to do just cardio and I'm going to be intense, I can't, I don't just have enough energy for lifting. And I just would love to hear more about your experience. Cause I, I know I've seen your Instagram, like you've run and you, you know, you're physically active. So kind of what has the experience been for you trying to manage that? I mean, I was running a 5k almost every day of the week. I mean, that's not, it's, I guess, great for some people, but for me, it was something, you know, to throw in my busy life and, um, I couldn't do it, you know, after surgery, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to try and run a mile and just get through a mile for like a week and then add a minute every time after that until I can get back to the 5k and sometimes I think with exercise and stuff it's like always about pushing yourself and beating your last record and all of those things and it kind of hurts mentally when you can't do that because you're like I know my body can do this is it a mental block or is it a physical block but then on the other hand where it's like you know I've dealt with two cancers and I'm still out here doing a mile or whatever or a 5k that's pretty good you know and pushing myself on all aspects whether it's life or in exercise I was always pushing myself to the limits and I feel like there was such amount of stress with that and cancers actually helped me to realize my limitations too Mm -hmm. and trying embrace those limitations when you're exercising or trying to push yourself is is hard because it's always about getting to the next step or doing better but there's a lot of beauty in embracing those limitations also and I feel like my body is respecting me a little bit better by embracing those limitations like oh you know what you're gonna have to go half a mile per hour slower today and I actually feel better doing that and have more energy and acceptance for that than I would have before, if that makes any sense at all. That makes a hundred percent sense. Cause I was the same way, like before, like I said before, it's like uh, you, as you put it, like there's this constant push, pushing your limitation, getting to that next step. But I agree with you. I think after cancer, especially after this diary cancer, it's become like, I love how you put it embracing your limitations. Cause I think that allows you to be consistent more, right? Yes. Like rather than trying to be perfect, um, you know, that all or nothing mindset can be really damaging to your health, physically, mentally, emotionally, because it's, it puts you in that space of, well, if I can't do all, then I shouldn't do anything. Cause I'm not good enough. 
But when you're yes. embracing your limitations and going, you know what, I really can't actually go past this. So let me try to do what I can. Then the next time you do it, you're like, okay, maybe I'll go a little bit further. Like I was able yeah. to do a mile today. Maybe I'll try to do a mile point two or a mile point one and like yeah. just slowly do it. And then taking those days where you're like, you know what, I'm not going to push myself because I know that actually will be bad. Um, let me like kind of go just my baseline. I think that allows you to just be a lot more consistent, which I think what you were saying, like being able to like respect your body a lot more in all aspects is better at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a lot happier because if I was pushing myself like the next day when I'm jumping on the treadmill or whatever, I'm like, I really don't want to do this. And my body is like, I really don't want to do this. And it would be a struggle step after step. But where I do embrace those limitations and if my body says slow down and I do slow down when I get on the treadmill the next day, my body's more willing to work with me and be like, oh, okay, you know, I know that you'll slow down when I tell you to slow down and then let's see what we can do today. And it's not this forcing it to do yeah. things that it doesn't want to do. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, and a lot of the times it's not good to do that, right? Like I know that there's this, this, this point where we have to push ourselves, right? There's always going to be a point where it's like, you're limiting yourself out of fear. So try to push yourself. But right. I think it becomes this thing where it's like, no, it's not a fear. It's not like a lack of desire to want to do the work. It's literally my body cannot that it, yes. at the end of the day, if I do it, it, the end result actually will not be good. Yeah. Not beneficial at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the thyroid cancer experience. And I think you're, you're very unique, at least from me and that like it happened both at the same time. How, how was it juggling the, the needs of both, right? Like, you know, when you, when you lose a kidney, you have to maybe be a bit more careful about your nutrition or certain other things. When you lose a thyroid, you have to really pay attention to your energy. What has it been like trying to navigate both afters, if you will? Um, maybe I've tried to block it out of my mind. <laughs> it was crazy. It was just so much all at the same time. And it just felt like everything was an emergency. Like it was just fire after fire. And, mm. um, like I showed up at the ENT doctor four days after my radical nephrectomy to do this biopsy. And he's like, what are you doing here like this is not an emergency I'm like yes everything is an emergency this is an emergency do you know what my life you know the last six weeks I just got cancer thrown on me that I had no idea and they're telling me it's been there for years you know everything's an emergency and I mean for the kidney at least for me it was you know a, a bit painful and I couldn't I guess I just couldn't worry about it that much that was the scarier one to me because they're telling me kidney cancer is super scary there's no treatment mm. it's really deadly <laughs> you know all of these things and they're like oh thyroid's not a big deal everybody gets it not everybody but like a lot of people get it it's really common and this is what we do and then you're cured and so for the kidney I mean I felt really helpless because there's not a lot of options there's not a lot I can do to prevent it it's just wait and see and watch I mean, I increased my hydration to the point I've always loved water. And I'm like, I never want to drink water again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to start drinking like flavored water just to get through it. And then the thyroid, 
it was just bam, 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 like, oh, this isn't working. Let's do the radioactive iodine. And then I had to go off um, all iodine, a special diet. I had to go off all medication and put me in hypothyroidism. My TSH was at like 90 where I literally couldn't get off the couch and then do the radioactive iodine and see if that worked. And, you know, it didn't. (laughs) So just dealing with it from all aspects, it just felt like everything was coming at me. Like I just, I couldn't do everything. You know, I just tried to eat better, decrease sugar, increase water intake. And that's kind of it because it was just too much. I was just trying to survive literally. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't really embrace anything much more than that because I was literally out of my mind. It was too much. It was crazy. Yeah. I could have. And honestly, I don't think you need to embrace, you needed to embrace more than that. But I did want to point out one. So I've heard that same thing about how common thyroid cancer is, but I've looked at the numbers and if thyroid cancer is common, so is kidney cancer, because like the, the number of cases of thyroid cancer are like less than 50 K a year in the United States is not even that common. And like, in kidney cancer cases, chromophobe, we're different, right? Like we're 5% yeah. of cases. So we're, we're a tiny percentage of that, but all kidney cancer cases, I think this year it's going to be like the 89 K challenge for the KCA because it's yeah. like, and like close to 90 K. So I just, I find it really interesting that we keep hearing that thyroid cancer is common when it's not. Yeah. So it's just a really, it's a really weird line that I keep hearing. I just, I want to understand the definition of common in the medical community. Like, I really yeah. want to understand what that definition means. I know. I know. I don't think they have a good answer. For yeah, that. Not at all. And I also think the standards of care are so different, like yes. state to state, city to city. That I think it also makes it harder for survivors to really know how to manage their own care. Because for me, I was I got I was told like to get an oncologist. I got an oncologist since, you know, the kidney cancer. I've had that and I've only been stage one in both cases. And so I find it interesting that you were told not to. And it's, and it's something I've heard from other survivors too, that were told, oh, they didn't need an oncologist. And I feel like, because, like I said, because we don't have that standard of care throughout the country where it's like, no, if you have this, you get this. It just makes it so much harder to navigate survivorship. Absolutely. And I feel like I have had to become my own expert, which in a way is comforting a little bit because I feel like I have a little bit more control, but I'm also not educated in the medical field at all. And I don't know what I don't know. And so I think talking to other survivors or thrivers or whoever, just to help navigate things, it brings a lot of beauty and purpose into the cancer journey but it also helps you know what questions like you should ask. I mean, I, I've asked, well, do I need to change my diet or or anything to my urologist? He's like, no, you just have to stay really hydrated and we're going to watch these numbers for you. What is it? Your GFR and your creatinine are the things that they watch and you just stay really hydrated. But then there's people that were told, okay, decrease your salt intake. um, Don't eat red meat, all these things. And I mean, for me, I went off soda just because like I felt like that was the right thing for me to do and I told my urologist he's like well that's a really miserable life you know (laughs) and but for me it felt like the right thing to do just because I only do have the one kidney left and 
you know, we all hear how it's not great for you, but there is no standard. I mean, he didn't tell me that I needed to do anything different with my life. And I couldn't get an explanation how this even happened. You know, if it's like, oh, well, soda did this to you or genetics did this to you, then obviously you could help it not happen again. But there's no explanation and there's no standard of care. There is no anything given to you to guide you. And you just have to kind of decide what works for you and go with that. Yeah, I agree. And I same here. I've had to do a lot of education and I have a lot of people, particularly bodybuilders or people who are into lifting who come up to me, who come to me to ask and figure out their nutrition because there is no standard. It's either you have nephrologists telling you you have to follow a renal diet when you don't have to follow a renal diet, or you have nephrologists or urologists, whoever telling you you don't have to follow a renal diet when maybe you do have to pay attention to your nutrition. And so it's like you get these blanket rules depending on the perspective of your doctor. And it's just, it puts you in this place of like, of just extra frustration because it then Mm -hmm. makes it harder to go out to eat. Like it makes it harder to figure out, well, what works for you or where can we, especially if you're in a place where you don't have a lot of, let's say you're, you know, you don't cook or for whatever reason you're, you want to eat out you don't have a lot of options and you're like, okay, how do I choose the lesser of two evils here? Right. And do I even feel good about it afterwards? And what, what am I going to have to consider? And we just don't have the guidance for it. We have to like piecemeal it together. Right. Or is this making my cancer come back or grow? Yeah. Or whatever, you know? yeah. And they don't have the answers, so they won't give them to you. So you just kind of have to guess and do what works for you and what feels right, I guess. Yeah, essentially. So what are some pieces of advice for our listeners who may either be experiencing kidney cancer or thyroid cancer or both? Because there there are more of us out there than we probably realize. And I feel like doctors need to get up on studying our cases more because there's a connection (laughs) there that like just needs to be explored. But that is just, I'll get off my soapbox on that for a second. (laughs) What, what advice do you have for other survivors or people who are, or caregivers or loved ones of survivors just to kind of, you know, navigate this journey, whether it's regarding fitness, energy, food, what are some things that you've picked up over the last couple of years? I think, I mean, it sounds selfish and I don't want it to sound selfish, but you really have to take care of you because that's kind of where it starts. If you're not taking care of you, you can't take care of your kids. You can't take care of your life and to listen to your body. Um, if it says you need to lay down, just lay down. It might need five minutes. It might need an hour. You don't know, but just listen to your body. Um, I think there's a lot of beauty in in talking about it uh, and sharing stories with others. It can give a lot of hope to other people um, and give a lot of purpose to a cancer journey. If you can help somebody else navigate surgeries or say, you know, this is what works for me. You might get really nauseous after surgery and this is what works to help combat that. Um, you can be a good resource if you can be a good resource to other people, which it seems like you are doing Anna Maria and um, it it helps soften the blow of a lot of it. I've put a lot of time, extreme amount of time into my mental health because I got in a really dark place like really quickly um, with two cancers in 10 days <laughs> and <laughs> and I've spent, hours and hours in therapy, EMDR therapy, and 
found so much personal growth, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything, just discovering myself and who I am and how I want my life to be, um, through this cancer journey. And even though it's been horrific, it's also been a really beautiful thing. And I think looking back, I never would have been able to say that from the get go, but just to become, you become a different person, right? You Mm -hmm. just do. There's no way to not become a different person from that. And so I think if you focus on making yourself the best person you can be through it, that's going to help you with like your food and nutrition and make better choices that way and push yourself the right way physically in the gym and also push yourself emotionally as a mother and make you better. It can make you better all in all aspects of life if you let it. And thank you for that. I wanted to get back to the mental health part of it. So we hadn't talked about that. Um, so if you if you feel comfortable, can you talk a little bit more about the things you've done to address your mental health and just kind of how that dark place that you were in and what helped you just go through it? Yeah, sure. Um, I was seeing a regular talk therapist doing cognitive behavioral, just regular therapy. And then I, my husband had done some EMDR and found some good hope with that. And so I started doing EMDR also. And it was interesting how the trauma of cancer had piggybacked on other traumas in my life and was able, I was able to start unraveling all of those things and finding healing in so many ways in my life that I didn't know that I even needed. I didn't know they were kind of all interconnected together with this cancer. And um, it is such hard work because you're essentially reliving everything every time. And um, it was really, really hard. And I'm still in the middle of that journey, you know, but I've come a long way and it's been awesome to discover things about myself that I didn't know and also find so much peace in things that I didn't know needed help also. And so I can't say enough for my therapists or for people that take that jump because it is hard work, but there's so much good in it too. I love that. I honestly, I don't think we could probably stress enough the importance of of therapy and seeking therapy or or some type of psychosocial support, right? Because yeah. not everyone might have access to therapy or the insurance, right. but being able to to just like you said, take that leap to take care of yourself. Like I applaud you for that. Not that we should be applauded because it should just be something that (laughs) like we do and it's accepted in society and everything, but it's just the stigma out there around mental health is so pervasive that, you know, I applaud you for being able to, to break through that and find therapy and do that therapy or rather take another step in your therapy journey and continue to just heal Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I mean, I I would go to cancer support groups or whatever. And I I kind of felt like an imposter with thyroid cancer because it's like, oh, I haven't done chemo. I haven't lost my hair. I just had to have surgery. Mm -hmm. I'm essentially cured. And it made me feel so bad. Yeah. You know, like not enough. But then I tell people 
oh, I have two cancers. And they're like, oh, and then I finally felt like I was a part of the group because yeah, nobody else had two cancers, but then there's nobody that really gets it. So I'm so grateful that I ran into you because it's like, oh, somebody who actually understands what it's like to have two cancers, you know? And, and so I didn't find those groups as beneficial. And I'm like, I was right on the cusp of being in the young yeah cancer group and now I'm like graduated out I don't qualify for the young cancer group anymore and so I it's just kind of this lonely place like who do I even talk to and so I think you have to gather your team like circle your wagons and get a good team of friends and family spiritual advisors whatever support around you but then also if you have access you need a therapist because they're going to listen to you and you might not find somebody in those groups who truly understands what it's like to deal with cancer the way you're dealing with it i really feel like we're living parallel lives because you said you could I, those words could have come out of my mouth to be honest i i am the same way like i there's a certain value to those groups and connecting people, but I I felt the same way with the kidney cancer as like, well, I don't belong here because I just had my kidney taken out and I didn't have to, you know, I'm not stage four or I'm not stage three mm-hmm. or I'm not on immune therapy. And then right. when you write with the thyroid cancer, it's like, well, I just had my thyroid removed. I didn't have a neck dissection. So I pretty much had it quote unquote easy. Um, yes. <laughs> so where, where do I go? And it's like, you know, being a two-time cancer survivor at a certain age, like I, I'm 40 now when I um, was diagnosed with kidney cancer, I was 37. So same thing. Like I was on the cusp of young adult, but now I'm like graduated out, I guess is a good way to say it. (laughs) But then in uh, certain other groups, it's a certain age up. So you're like in this weird middle of like, so who is there to understand me? So same. I'm very grateful. I found you and we need to connect more um, yes. <laughs> outside of this and just like, just lean on each other because it it can be in many ways. And I'm sure we're not the only ones who like feel this way. Like it can be just very lonely and having a therapist to be able to talk to you who, who could be that objective ear and kind of unravel those things. Right. And, and, you yeah. know, explain what, what you're feeling or make you see something in a new light. It's just, it could, it's just, incredible support yeah 100% <laughs> yeah well we're coming to the end of time so before I let you go I would love for you to just anything any last words that you want to share about anything we talked about or maybe we even didn't um just that it's hard like there's no words to explain how hard cancer is um and then two cancers on top of that is just double everything or triple everything (laughs) and just to keep fighting and know that you're worth it and that everybody is rooting for you people that you don't even know are rooting for you and that life can still be beautiful even without a kidney I mean I felt kind of empty losing that kidney and they're like oh you know you have two that's why you have two you only need one and as I went through therapy I just felt like it was this dark hole monster thing that ate my kidney and and that you're not your body you know you're so much deeper than your body and therapies helped me realize that and I'm a really spiritual person and I've been able to realize like there's so much more to me than cancer cancer is not my only story and 
it can be a big part of my story and I'm trying to make it a beautiful part of my story, but to just keep fighting and know that you're not cancer. I love that. That is just a great way to end this. So before we close off, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I believe it's just Amy 25, J-U-S-T-A-M-Y 25. And on Facebook, it's Amy Moore Plazier. And I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that neither am I. So it's or, all or good. Or TikTok or any of Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. It was such a great conversation. Like I said, we really do need to connect more outside of this. So thank you for joining me and telling me more about your life and just sharing your story. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to connect everything that you post. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to be watching your story. I hope you're okay. If you ever need anything, please don't hesitate to like reach out or if you just want to complain about something or say like have a you know victory you want to share just yeah don't hesitate to reach out thank you good luck with your whole body scan okay 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 before you shut this off listen you know I'm a huge mental health advocate I mean I've dedicated this entire podcast to the intersection of mental health and fitness Guess what though? There's another brand that also is dedicated to the intersection of mental health and fitness. Vital Apparel. If you haven't tried on their workout gear, you should. It's very buttery and smooth and squat proof. And I've become an ambassador. It's a perfect pairing. Let's be honest. To people, brands, things, whatever you want to call it, dedicated to breaking the mental health stigma. And with Vital Apparel, they donate a portion of their profits to mental health research. Isn't that amazing? Well, if you decide that you want to check out some gear and purchase some, hit bear. I'm going to keep that in. Anyway, go to the URL vtlapparel.com and use the code stillwillfit to get about 15% off. 